the title of today's message is uh, Simple, Not Easy. Simple, Not Easy. It's interesting how words in the English language tend to be used interchangeably. For example, simple and easy. And all these words might seem like they're the same. They're very different. For example, something can be simple and not easy. You see, something simple means that it's understandable, that it's straightforward, and that it's uncomplicated. Easy, on the other hand, means that it's not difficult or requires little to no effort. And I want to illustrate that for you in a story this morning. It was a beautiful spring afternoon in the Canyonlands National Park in eastern Utah. The day was April 26, 2003, and there was a young man by the name of Aaron Ralston that was canyoneering in Blue John Canyon. And as he was descending down the boulder, there was one there that was suspended. It was 800 pounds, and he grabbed onto it. He fell, and with him, the 800-pound boulder fell with him. And it crushed his left hand, and then it crushed his right hand, and it pinned his right arm to the side of the wall. You see, without the ability to call for anyone, he spent three days stuck in this position doing everything that he could possibly do to remove his arm from being stuck. But it was to no avail. You see, by the third day, he started to realize that his arm was starting to decompose due to the lack of circulation. He was limited to 12 ounces of water and two burritos. Aaron was desperate and fully conscious of the decision before him. He could either give up, stop, and die, or what he could do is he could self-amputate his arm and give himself the opportunity to live. You see, the choice was simple. The choice was, do I live or do I die? But it was not easy. With a courageous heart, on the fifth day, Aaron, wanting to live, broke his arm in two. And using all that he had, which was simply one of these tools right here, that has a two-inch dull blade and some pliers, he amputated his arm. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Simple decision, but not easy. It took him one hour to go through the operation. And then on the morning, 127 hours later, on May 1st, with the amputation complete, Aaron was freed. With one hand, he rappelled down a 65-foot sheer wall and hiked out. There was a family there that saw him, and they took him in, and they fed him, and they gave him water, and they called for help, and by the time that the emergency services got there, and they were taking care of him. They realized that he had lost 40 pounds during that time. 25% of the volume of his blood 
and his right arm. The choice was simple, but not easy. Life or death. You see, Jesus, in the best sermon delivered to mankind, provides us a similar choice. You'll remember as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with a choice between two standards of righteousness. You say, he says, you have heard, but I say. You have heard, but I say. When you pray, when you give, don't do it like the hypocrites do. Do it like this. The two deeds, the two different types of treasures, the two masters, the two aims of our life's ambitions, whether it's seeking him, him and his kingdom first or not. The two types of teachers being known by the two different types of fruit. Jesus is telling us that there are choices to be made along the way. But as Jesus is wrapping up his message and as we're getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he has a call to action. And the call to action is not simple. It is simple, excuse me, but it's not easy. It's between life and death. If you will, church, let's stand in the reading of God's word to honor him. The verse is Matthew 7, 13 through 14. It says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. You may be seated. You see, you have two different gates that lead down to two different paths that result in two different destinations. One destination is life, and life eternal. And the other is death and destruction. Now, given the choice between life and death, you would think that most people would choose life. I think given the choice, if asked between their preference between eternal life and eternal death, most would choose eternal life, even if they had doubts as to whether those options even exist. But we can see right here in Scripture that when the choice between life and death transitions from the temporary and the physical to the eternal and the, the, the spiritual, most people do not choose eternal life. They've chosen death and destruction. As it says here, many will choose and enter the gate that leads to destruction, and few find and enter the gate that leads to life. Why is that? Why is it that most people would, would naturally choose physical life and eternal life given the choice, yet Jesus tells us that most enter through the gate that leads to eternal death and destruction. And I understand here 
You may be asking yourself, well, what about God's sovereign election versus man's free will? Blake, you're talking about choice. The reality is both lives in the scripture. It's a paradox. Both can be different but true. Jesus is providing here a choice. But why? Why is it that most choose death and destruction? And it says right here, the way is easy. The way is easy that leads to destruction. I'm going to ask you a question here. How many of you grew up in a household where you were, you were given this question? We can either do this the easy way or the hard way. You choose. How many people said hard way? As your dad pulled out the belt and you know what I mean? No, I am easy, easy way. I'm good. You see, if you were to hang a sign above one of the gates where it said easy and hard, which one do you think most would choose? Especially when they both appear to promise life. See, that's the issue. There's an appearance. One does promise life and one has the mirage of life. Most would pick the easy way. You see, most people would naturally choose life until they realize that life is hard and the cost is so high. Now, they won't come out and say that. They're not going to tell you why they choose the wide way, but you can see it reflected in their life. Quick show of hands, how many people would have used this to amputate their own arm? Not many. It's amazing how, though, how many people are willing to take and make the most incredible, difficult decisions for their physical life yet they're not willing to make decisions for their eternal. So what makes one easy and what makes one hard? Why is one gate narrow and the other wide? Why does one need to be found and the other is so obvious? You see, to answer these questions, we need to understand which each gate represents. So let's start by defining the narrow gate, the hard way, because when we define this, we'll, we'll understand what is wide. You see, the narrow gate represents Christ, and it leads to eternal life. John 4, 6, 14, 6 says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the true truth and the life. No one no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the only way we can experience eternal life is if we are reconciled to the Father. And the only way that we can be reconciled to the Father is through his Son. Remember, it's our sinful nature and sin that separated us from God. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians 
2, 1 through 5. It says here, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom all we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is who we were. And in many ways, because we continue to sin, this is who we are. Now, someone would disagree. They would say, no, we are born inherently good. But it doesn't take 30 minutes to babysit a toddler to understand that that is not the truth, right? They lie, cheat, steal, covet, manipulate, hit, and spit. And that's only at the age of three. They're sinners. They're little sinners. Sometimes you got to remind them, you're a little sinner. That's why I got kicked out of children's ministry. I just had to give him a little truth. Sit back down, you little sinner. But adults do it. They do the same thing. They're just less obvious. Yeah? You see, the truth is we were born with a sinful nature. And because we sin, the result of that sinful nature in our sin is we are separated from God. Isaiah 59.2 says, Because your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. And what is the consequence? What is the consequence of our sinful nature and our sin? It's very clear in Romans 6.23, it says the consequences of our sin is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. Death. It's an eternal death. You see, and if I were to stop right here, if we were to stop the message, there would have only been one gate, one entrance. It would have been the wide gate that leads to destruction and death. But here's where it turns Ephesians 2. Verses 4, it says right here, but God. But God. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were all destined for the wide gate, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let's pause there for a moment. A moment. We are only able to be made alive through Christ because of God's decision to sacrifice his son. And because his son paid the price for our sins with his own blood, then and only because of that we now have the other option. We now have the narrow gate. The only church, the only option that saves us from the wide gate and eternal damnation is Christ and Christ alone. It reminds me of the 
the Latin solas that came out of the Protestant Reformation. I love these. If my wife would let me, I'd get them tattooed on my arm. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Sola Fide, faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Sola Christo, Christ alone. And Sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Solo Christo, Christ alone. It's the only way. And it reverberates throughout the New Testament. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Acts 4, 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 Timothy 2.5, and there is salvation in no one else. And it goes on. Our salvation is through Christ alone. If we think in context of all the ideologies, philosophies, world religions, cults, and spiritual traditions, and whittle true salvation down to one, I think most people would say that is fairly narrow. I think they would say offensively so. And I think that's why sometimes when we have the opportunity to share the gospel with other people, we clam up a little bit. Because that can be an offensive message to some. To some, it's a great fragrance. And to some, it's a pugnant smell. But it's Christ alone. You see the... The gate is so incredibly narrow that all the good people with all their good intentions on their best day will not fit. And if that's not enough of a sobering thought, if the wide gate isn't wide enough or the narrow isn't narrow enough, even people who profess Christ or to be a Christian who have knowledge but fail to live out their faith where there is no fruit they too will not find entrance to the narrow gate it says here in Matthew 7:21 through 23 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And, I, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The, the quest to find the narrow gate reminds me of the quest to send man to the moon. Every ha everything had to be so incredibly precise. To take two six-foot men sitting on 364-foot rocket and land them on a rock that was moving 239,000 miles away. That's precise. They said if 
the shuttle were to veer off one degree, they would have missed the moon by 4,200 miles. One degree. 180 versus 181. And they would have missed it by 4,200 miles. You see, it doesn't take much, church, for someone to start veering off course slightly to find them missing the mark to lose sight of the narrow gate. Take Mormonism. A lot of Mormons are self-proclaimed Christians. And there's a lot of things that we would agree on. But it just takes one thing to add to the truth in the form of Joseph Smith and what has happened. They're one degree off. They missed it. Or what about those who, who think about Jesus and they, and they like Jesus and they like his teachings and they actually want to live by his teachings, but they can't pr profess him as the son of God. Their only way to salvation, it just takes one degree and you miss the entrance. You see, if it's not enough to admire the gate or get close, Jesus says here very clearly, enter through it. Enter through it. But it's hard. You see, the narrow gate is so narrow that, it, that one must deny himself to gain entrance. Matthew 16, 24 through 25, he says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. To deny oneself, take up the cross, to follow Christ is not easy. It's hard enough for most people to miss the gate. And those who find it will even be fewer. The Bible describes how hard it is. In Luke 14, 25 through 33, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able to, with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 18, 18 through 24, and I won't read it all. But there's somebody that comes to Jesus, right? And he tells Jesus how he's followed all the commandments. It's the rich 
young ruler, right? And so what Jesus does is he goes straight to the heart. He, sees, he says, leave all that you have and follow me. And the guy couldn't do it. It says, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing what he had become sad, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? The gate is narrow and the way is hard because it requires us to deny ourselves to follow Christ. And I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we need to be sobered by God's word. That we really need to be reminded of what God's expectation is for us in our lives. So easy is it for us to reduce the standards in our own lives so that we can meet those standards. When God's standard is perfection, but by the grace of God, he's given us Jesus Christ to be that perfect and blameless and unblemished one on our behalf. You see, we must see that we are completely depraved and are by nature sinful. We must lay down our pride, our self-confidence, our self-achievement, our, our self-satisfaction. We must uh, trade our self-righteousness for his righteousness. We must realize that we are incapable of saving ourselves and therefore in desperate need of a savior. We must realize that salvation is a gift and nothing that we deserve or can earn. We must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, and accept him as our Lord and Savior. We must keep Christ as the center of our utmost love and affection. We must follow him at all costs, including our closest relationships and even our earthly existence. We must continually crucify our earthly desires and passions of the flesh. Our life must be a living testimony where our faith can be tested by the fruit. And we must, church, persevere. As Paul says here, he fought the good fight. He finished the race. It was hard. But at the end of it, at the end of it, at the end of that, that narrow and hard path, you're going to have a father in heaven that says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. You see, nothing, and I mean nothing, church, of what I said this morning is easy. Nothing of what I said is going to happen by accident or by association. You can't inherit your way into the narrow gate. You can't trip into it. You can't fall into it. You're not going to accidentally find yourselves on it. You see, it happens when you make an all-in, come-what-may decision to deny self, believe in Christ, and commit to following him. It's the hard way. 
It's the narrow path. But I want you to think about this for a moment. You see, the greatest, the hardest, the most costly decision that ever needed to be made was made by God on our behalf. You see, God decided to endure the hardship and pay the extraordinary cost when he, when he chose to provide the narrow gate. The gate of redemption that leads to life that was paid for through the sacrificing of his own son. His perfect, holy, and righteous son. Now the choice is out there. God made his choice in making the gate. And now the choice is out there. You see, every person who will come to Jesus Christ can come to Jesus Christ. John 6, 37 and 40 says this, All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. You see, Jesus assures us, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. You see, for those of us who call him Lord, he shows us the way. He shepherds us to the gate. He allows us to enter where we will enjoy the greatest gift ever given, the gift of eternal life with him. And even when we fall and fail, church, and when we do, we know we're going to because we do every day when we fall and fail. Every five minutes, every two minutes, every 30 seconds when we fall and fail, he's there to pick us up. He's there to forgive us as he helps us continue going down the hard and narrow path. You see, Aaron Ralston mentioned how he didn't lose his hand. He gained his life back. How much more is it worth it to endure the hard path to gain eternal life with him forever? The choice is simple. Not easy. But absolutely worth it.